that's good. Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for the joy of being together on a summer day, enjoying you and, and Lord, your cathedral. We praise you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'm particularly excited for a couple of reasons. One, I just had Tommy, our MC, he just prayed over me in an acrostic using my name, each letter of my name, praying over me. So that's pretty, that's pretty cool, Tommy. Thank you. I've never had that happen before. Uh, and secondly, um, I normally am tasked, well, not normally, but often I'm tasked with a couple passages that, that are tough, right? Those difficult passages. You remember maybe a year or two ago, I had that slew of like really gnarly passages to deal with. And last week, Todd took us on this giant, like, drone flyover of First Peter. He took us through the entire topography of this great letter. Today, I got two, two verses. One, two. That's all that I'm tasked with preaching, so I'm, I'm stoked about that. And secondly, I'm wearing my Lucky Where's Waldo tank top. So, if the sermon gets boring, you can just find Waldo and you will be entertained without a problem. So this is good stuff. So let's just read the passage. Um, so if you have a Bible or a phone uh, that has a Bible on it, or you've just memorized it, good for you, overachiever. Let's just read the passages, hear them together. And I, I want to remind everyone that the first encounter with this letter to our ancestors in the ancient church, the first encounter would have been audible. They would have heard it read to them. So let's join them together in hearing this. So, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit, to be obedient to Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. This morning is going to be really simple. Two pieces that I want to uh, invite us all to reflect on and think about and run our own lives through and allow the scriptures to speak into our lives um, two pieces, and I've actually written them down on your handout, and this is a rare moment. This really is like the Halley's Comet moment here, where James is going to stick to the outline he submitted in the middle of the week. That normally doesn't happen, I know. It's like shock. We'll take a moment, process that, and continue. So the two points uh, that I want to focus on, the first one comes right out of uh, the majority of this um, passage, and it, it is an introduction, a greeting, a saying hello to a bunch of churches. And the, the uh, locations it mentions, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, um, Pontus, these, for some of you might know exactly where they are. Uh, for others of you, those are just interesting names. Essentially, these are all referencing these various communities that are in what is modern-day Turkey. So modern-day Turkey. So what was Roman Asia Minor. Um, and he's saying hello to all of these different groups who he refers to as exiles, or another word could be referred to as, as aliens. We might think of refugees, we might think of immigrants, right? He, he refers to the Christians as these folks that are in a land, and yet 
they're a little bit strange, a little bit different. They're kind of one foot off the merry-go-round when it comes to belonging fully into that culture and world. And Todd covered that beautifully last week. But when we think about this greeting, that we can quickly fly over and move on to where's the meat of the theology? Where's the deep um, uh, moral discourse in this letter? Let's get to the good stuff. What I want to suggest is some of the most beautiful treasures of all of First Peter, indeed in the New Testament as well, we can see in these beautiful veins all throughout these two, two letters. The first one, I just want to give us a little context and some reflection. Um, when you receive this letter for the first time and you're a church either in Bithynia or Pontus or Galatia or Cappadocia or Bithynia or as the generations continue, your churches that are in other areas of the Mediterranean world that are treasuring this text and hearing it, you're suddenly reminded of something that could be so, so encouraging. And that is that you're not alone. You're not alone. Have you ever felt that? Have you ever felt that way before? Like, I feel so alone in this, and no one else understands it fully. And then you meet somebody, or you bump into someone else that is doing the same thing, or has the same thing you do, and you're like, you get me! And they're like, you get me! And you have this, like, warm embrace. You don't know them really, but you totally know them. Anyone had that before with something, right? Yeah, like, to be a Christian in the West, the modern West, is not that crazy. I mean, we, every president we've ever had has claimed some form of Christianity. There are churches everywhere, Christian organizations. It's not that strange to see someone say, oh, I'm a Christian too. We're like, well, what kind of Christian are you? What division are you? What subdivision of that are you, right? We see that a lot. But in this context, we're talking about people that are like 0.1%, 0.1% of the population of the Roman Empire. So you you start meeting other Christians or you hear someone's a Christian, you're like, you too? You, you get it like I get it? You, you've seen the vision? You've caught the miracle that is Jesus of Nazareth? Yes, it's this total bonding moment. It can be such an encouraging moment. Um, as many of you know, Bray and I, we we, uh, we started being foster parents in January. In January, and many of you have been praying for like years for us, and have so involved in all these different ways. And our first placement, we, we now have little baby Franco who are us over there, uh, shielding from the sun. But a little six-month-old, now he's seven-month-old baby Franco. But our first placement, we had these two beautiful girls, two beautiful girls, a one-and-a-half-year-old and a three-and-a-half-year-old. And we sort of jumped in in the foster parenting world, like in the deep end, where there was like like a storm brewing. It was a lot, a lot more work and a lot more challenges than we had thought initially. And for that, we had them for three weeks before the, the court had sent them with a, a, a different relative. And for that three weeks, you felt like this crazy sense of like, I don't have my life anymore. This is beautiful and you're having these great moments with them. And at the same time, there are some just really hard things that you're dealing with. And foster parenting, you can't really describe it. It's one of those things that when you talk to somebody about it, you can describe elements of it. You can describe pieces that we can all connect with, but it's like hard to really get unless you've done it or you're in it. And then it's sort of like, oh yeah, I, I get that, right? And many of you have different things in your life that are probably the same way. You could explain them to me. I can cognitively kind of understand them, but to fully get it, you have to be doing it to fully get it. And I remember I took this one dare, like for the whole three weeks, we'd give, Bray and I would give each other an hour a day off. And many of you, by the way, would come to the house and take care of the kids and us. And it was just an amazing team effort. But we'd give each other one hour a day off. And finally, two weeks into it, I go, I'm going to go big. I am going to take the kids, all four of our kids now, 
I'm going to take them to Chick-fil-A. It was Julian Holler's Chick-fil-A in Culver City. I'm going to pack them in the car. We're going to put on my Tom Petty Live album, and I'm going to just have a moment of zen all the way out there. And just dad, no mom, just dad, four kids. It's going to be awesome. And I remember getting, I'm coming up with game plans, how we get out of the car. What's the strategy? Both of our little, well, one of them, no, they were both runners. They both loved to run and beautiful, beautiful protesters. If they're ever new protesters, because they can do the dead weight thing where it's like, and I'm not moving, right? So I'm th- trying to think through strategies. How do we get from A to B? And there's a there's this, why I wanted to go to Julian's Chick-fil-A. So I love Julian and he's the greatest guy. And also he has this controlled playground. It's like there's one way in, one way out, really safe. I could sit there and just let him go crazy in there. And it's peaceful. And so get him out of the car. Get into the restaurant. It's crazy. You get a lot of interesting, interesting looks. It's like you would. Uh, both of our, our, our beautiful daughters were African American, and I'm like you know, the whitest guy in the world here. And so you get a lot of these looks. People like uh, disapproving, approving, all these different opinions that you see on their faces. And we're getting in there, and I'm starting to feel a little insecure because behavioral's not behavior's not going great on all fronts and I'm corralling them and I'm like, let's go over here, sit here, okay, hold on. And I get them all sat down and I'm feeling this total sense of like, what happened at Chick-fil-A? It used to be so simple. And I sit down and I realize like, what if I have to go to the bathroom? What do I do? And no lie, in this moment of feeling totally alone as a new foster parent, I look over to my right and there are two foster moms with this beautiful family of foster kids. And they look over at me and they're like, oh yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> and so I get the kid, I'm like, can you watch the kids so I can use the restroom real quick? And we're having this long conversation. It's like, you get me, you totally. It was one of the most encouraging moments. Well, I get goosebumps right now just thinking about it. One of those encouraging moments where you go, we are not alone. This is so exciting. This is so cool. And it gives you the breath you need to go, we can keep going. We are not alone. Um, and you can just imagine that feeling as a young follower of Jesus, worshiping this 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 man who was Jewish, born in the Eastern Mediterranean, who the Romans killed on a cross, a shameful death. And yet you're claiming this is Lord. He is Lord. He is life. He is all that you need. And everyone going, I don't get it. What about all the other gods? What about your family values? What, what, what about everything? And suddenly you hear, greetings to all of you who are out there. It is so, so encouraging to be reminded of. One of my favorite things is when I go to, I get a chance to go to Switzerland about every three years and teach for an institute up there called ISTL. And how many of you had the Swiss folks stay with you when they came out? There's our Swiss people, yeah, our Swiss hosts. So we have, we, we have this great relationship with ISTL in Switzerland. And it's like 2% of the population are believers. Stefan preached on this beach um, a few months ago. Uh, the leader of that entire institution. But I love the first day you get there, you're totally jet lagged. It's weird because it's middle of the day where you are and back home y'all are sleeping. Unless you're like binge watching Stranger Things or something, the rest of you are sleeping and you're awake in this place across the world. And suddenly you're in this room where all the, about a hundred Swiss young students that, you know, college age are worshiping God. And they're doing it half in Swiss German, half in Hochdeutsch, High German, half in English, in, in which song they're singing. And you look out the window and there's the Alps. And you're looking around going, followers of Jesus, worshiping God, enjoying him fully, way over here, 
while everyone else is sleeping. And then we'll be worshiping and enjoying him fully while they're sleeping. It's just a crazy moment. One of my favorite things to realize, you're not alone. But there's also a humbling part to this. And now this is the, the point on your handout. I think it's on there. It should say, you're God's favorite, just like them. You're God's favorite, just like them. That's kind of a humbling reality as well. As much as it's encouraging, because I don't know about you, but I, I like to think that the world so often revolves around me and things that I'm into. And that God's laying, staying awake at night, he doesn't sleep, but staying awake at night thinking about my life and my problems and my issues. And when I do something that's really cool, he's like, oh, that's awesome, right? Or as the River Church, like this church to me, I love it so much. And I'll often hear from people like, James, you always talk about the river so much. Like, it's so great. And I have to kind of check myself because I do think it's pretty sweet. I think it's pretty awesome. I think it's special. But the reality is there are our brothers and sisters meeting all across Los Angeles, thousands and thousands of them worshiping the same God. There are across the world. Some of the most courageous Syrian Christians. Matt talked a couple weeks ago about the Coptic Christians in, in Egypt and, and in the, in the uh, Eastern Mediterranean that are at great cost worshiping the name of Jesus. And so this is kind of one part humbling that the world does not revolve around the River Church of the South Bay. As pastors, when we're in these meetings and we're talking through it, you feel sometimes the weight of like, we have got to do this right. We can't mess this up. This is too important. This is too important. And sometimes it's like, step back. If the River Church disappeared tomorrow, which I don't think it will, if it disappeared tomorrow, do you think that the work of the living God in the South Bay is going to come to a screeching halt? Like the Holy Spirit's going to show up and go, where, where'd the River Church go? Well, I don't know what I can do now. I better go home. Like, no way. The church is going to continue. God's going to continue doing his work. He doesn't need us. We are delighted to be in that glorious parade proclaiming his name. But there is so much more going on. Uh, how many you know Tommy Allen? Tommy Allen, his ministers in Rwanda, he, whenever he's here, he's not here today, is he? I always, he sneaks in sometimes. Okay. Whenever he's in town, we always say, Tommy, come up and say hi. He always has to do this first. He says, the churches in Rwanda, the Christians in Rwanda, ask me very specifically that I would greet you on their behalf. Like, how many of you have been out of the country this last year? let's say month. How many have been out of the country this last month? Put your hands up. Look around. Jet-setting church of ours, right? Like, how many of you, when you leave, did someone grab you and say, hey, if you go to church, be sure to greet them on behalf of the churches of Southern California? How many of you had some? Nobody. We just don't think like that. And I'm always so humbled when Tommy stands up there and says, the churches in Rwanda really wanted me to emphasize that they greet you. They, they know that connection is so important. To maintain so it's just totally um, humbling to me you're not the only show in town it's so encouraging to know that there are other churches thriving out there and yet you're not the only show in town and as I put on there you're God's favorite just like they are God's capacity to love there's some ma ah, magnets aren't really working no the magnets are working my setup isn't working um, so you could get bummed out on that and feel discouraged or feel like, well, that's kind of a bummer. I guess if I get a mass email from someone that says, hey, you're so important to me that it doesn't really count. I want it personalized. I want it specific. But the reality of our God is you are still, and his work with you is still so incredibly special. So in one sense, you're not the only show in town. There are so many that are 
God's favorites just like you, but also so much he's doing in your specific life. I mean, just look at this passage. So he mentions this greetings to all these churches, these exiles, who've been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God. So, so essentially what he's saying is God has you on his mind. The God of the universe, the God who threw the cosmos into order, had you on his mind. Then those who, through the sanctifying, or that means the being set apart, the being made special, the being made holy work of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit has taken you and said you were for something so much bigger and so much more special. And then finally, to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. The fact that that crucifixion and that deep, shameful, painful moment of human history where God dwells with us and dies on a cross, that it was for you. So that, that element of specialness is so profound and still there. Um, when I try to think about this, uh, probably the most powerful human analogy that I can make, uh, about two weeks ago, uh, my grandma uh, passed away. 86 years old, one of the most incredible human beings that, that walked this earth. Just absolutely a woman that loved so deeply and had so much, uh, so vivacious and so much love. And she lived in Newport Beach and Dana Point. And she would love this, by the way. This is like her home base. It's just the beach. And my love for the beach, so, so much of that is infected through her and her love for it um, as I was a kid. I can say so much about my grandma. And, um, but she's had a, she has a huge family and a bunch of grandkids. And um, over Memorial Day weekend, all the grandkids and all the family were over at the house in Dana Point, sort of in shifts, and just kind of saying hi to Grandma. And she was, she was alert and able to talk, and, and she was on hospice, and she'd say hi to everyone and talk to everybody. She met baby Franco for the first time, one of the most beautiful moments. But all his grandkids kind of discovered something all, all of a sudden. We all sort of thought, like, Grandma and I, his Grandma and me, you know, all these other grandkids, yeah, you know, she knows of you. You know, she'll say some pleasantries to you, but no, 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 no. Me and Grandma, we are like that. We have this special thing going. And it's like one by one, we're all discovering, like, wait, you have that too? Wait, I thought it was just me. And in one sense, it was like, kind of like, oh, man, that's a but. I thought it was just me. In the other sense, you're going... What a remarkable human being that her grandchildren and now even her great-grandchildren, she fostered these incredibly personal, beautiful relationships that were detailed, specific, and meaningful. And she's a human being. She's a human being. How much more so our God, though our God at this point can have millions of those that would call on his name and call out to him. And millions of those who have yet to call us in that he still is pursuing and loving. And yet can still maintain that very special and specific moment and relationship with you. So I just want to push against any idea that, well, Jesus loves me, but he loves everyone else too, so it doesn't matter. I just want us to recognize, no, as we involve ourselves in the details of our life, from praying for parking spaces to cancer jobs crises, I mean the full spectrum of how our prayers. I personally think God cares about all of them. All of them. And it's the capacity and heart to personally and lovingly interact and relate to us on all those levels. So, greetings. 
You are God's favorite, just like all of them, just like all of them. The last piece I'll close with, uh, I put the flavors of victory, the flavors of victory. This whole series in First Peter is about victory. This idea of the victorious life in Christ, the victorious life in Christ. And um, the last piece of our passage, after he greets everybody, he says this. And everyone can say it, or you can hear it, and then we'll say it together. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Let's say that all together. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. What an amazing passage. In Greek, charis kai erene. Grace and erene, peace. How many of you need a little bit more grace in your life? How many of you need, you have some hands going up. <laughs> how many of you need a little bit more, Dano's got both hands up. How many of you need a little bit more peace in your life? Grace and peace to you. Okay, so in preparation, uh, I have this, I have a bunch of these um, ancient uh, classic classical texts. This one's a bunch of letters in papyri, ancient papyri, okay? So I went through a bunch of letters today. I just wanted to say, folks in the ancient Mediterranean world, how did they greet each other? What did a standard letter introduction look like? I'm going to read you a bunch, and these are a representative sample of um, a redundant stock repeated phenomenon. Okay, this is, uh, here's a letter. This is from a recruit, a military recruit in Italy, um, uh, first century. Apollinarius Tutasius, his mother and lady, many greetings. The term there is karen. It literally means be joyful or greetings or good day, mate. It's a, that kind of a thing. How was my Australian accent? Was that good? Thank you. That was for you. Greetings. And then he says this, before all, I pray for your health. I myself am well and make supplication for you before the gods of this place. Okay, so this is a, again, not a, not a Christian letter. It's just an ancient letter. Let's keep going. This is from a, a recruit, a, a, a military recruit. Apion to Epimachus, his father and lord. Very many greetings. So same thing. Karen, just greetings. Before all else, I pray for your health, that it may be well with you, that you may prosper together with my brother and sister and her daughter and my brother. I thank the Lord Serapis, that when I was in danger at sea, he straightaway saved me. Okay, so there's an Egyptian deity named Serapis, and a Roman and Egyptian deity. Uh, here's another letter. Arrhenius to Apollinarius, the dearest brother. Many greetings. I pray continually for your health, and I myself am well. Tarius to Apollonius, her lord, many greetings. But for everything else, I salute you, and I pray always for your health. One last one. I, I could do a million of these. I was, I was looking for, like, fun examples, and there's just not. It's really boring. Don't tell my students that, but really boring. Ciperonius to Saturnalia, his mother and lady, many greetings. There's that term, Karen. Before everything, I pray for your health and that of your brothers, unharmed by the evil eye. We'll talk about that at some point over, like, a coffee. And with all, I make supplication for you daily to the Lord, Serapis. Okay, so this is standard letter writing. It's like how we say, dear, blah, 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 right? It's just the name of the person sending the letter to the people he's sending it to, greetings. And then I pray for your health. I hope you're healthy. I hope you're doing well. I hope you're healthy. These are all nice. There's nothing wrong with that. I'm not here to say, how shallow is that? It's a nice letter opening. If I got a letter from you saying, greetings, I hope you're healthy, I'd say, hey, thank you. Thank you so much. But now, 
when we turn to the letters of the New Testament, I need a couple people to help me out here. Second Peter one two. Does anyone have their Bible with them? You can look it up for me. Second Peter one two. You can be on a phone. Just throw your hand up and let me know you're out there. I'm gonna have you yell it out. I always wave to the copters. I teach my kids. All right, who's gonna participate? Give me some hands. I'm gonna call out more. Okay, fine. Romans one seven. There we go. There, that's what I'm talking about. It only takes one to get the ball rolling. Okay, Second Peter one two. Who will read it for me? Second Peter one two. You're just gonna belt it out. Simple. Playing in a college classroom again, trying to get extra credit. All right, there we go. Second Peter one two. All right, First Corinthians one three. First Corinthians one three. All right, hand in the back there. Hand in the back. All right, awesome. Second uh, Corinthians one two. This is going somewhere. I promise you, it's going somewhere. I know it's getting hot out there. I'm gonna land this plane soon. Right there. Galatians one three. I'm landing this plane really quick. Galatians 1.3. The faster you raise your hand, the faster this plane does come into landing. Even my, my Bray, how about you? That's my wife. Okay. All right. Galatians 1.3. Okay. Who had their hand? Ephesians 1.2. Last one. Ephesians 1.2. Someone had their hand up. There we go. Yes. All right, Dave. Thanks. Okay. So who had 2 Peter 1.2? All right. Just belt it out as loud as you can and I'll repeat it if you need to. All right. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Awesome. Romans 1-7. This is from Paul of Tarsus now. Romans 1-7. Who had that? Just belt it out. To all those loved by God, grace and peace to you. Good. Who has 1 Corinthians 1-3? All right. Look at that was the loudest, by the way. Good job. Give her a hand. That's what I'm talking about. That is I heard that. Grace to you and peace from God our Father. Alright, Second Corinthians 1, 2. Another letter from Paul. Yes. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Alright, two more. Galatians 1, 3. My beautiful wife. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And the last one, Ephesians 1 2. Oh, Dave, you win the prize, man. Loudest of all. Grace and peace to you. By the way, I gave you like one fourth of what I could have given you on both ends in the ancient Mediterranean world and in the Christian literature. I just want you to notice something. Like, it says a lot how you want to say your first hello to a group you're talking with. It says a whole lot. And what I love is the priorities of these wild-eyed followers of Jesus. The priorities in a world that is obsessed. I know it's so different than our world. But in a world that's obsessed with health and wealth and, and, and luck, right? Health and how are you feeling and are you healthy and are you going to live longer, 10 years longer? We don't care about that stuff in our culture, right? We're like, do what you want, man. No, we're obsessed with that too. Guess what? Our ancient Roman ancestors in Western culture, they cared a lot about it too. And it comes up again and again and again. And yet the Christians do something different. They kind of take a left turn. In some of the letters, they, they'll mention health issues and they do care that, that God cares about your health. It's very clear. But as of first importance, first thing out of the gate, if I could say one thing when I first meet you, here's what I want to say. Here's my wish for you. Grace and peace growing in your life. More grace and more peace. The image I get is this great, oh, the, the Greek term, it's just fun to say. Uh, it's, from the, it's from the term 
Plethuno, plethuno, it means we get our word plethora. What is a plethora? You three Amigos fans out there? No? Okay. Just me. That one was for me. Let it increase. Let it multiply. Let it grow. Uh, I, I grew up watching, like, goofy cartoons, right? And my and Daffy Duck cartoons. And there's always this skit. There's always this thing that happens, right? Goofy's making bread or something, right? And he puts too much dough in and he closes the stove. And like within a few moments, the dough's leaking out. Next thing it's the whole house is full and it pans out further and like half the earth is covered, right? With the dough that Goofy was working on. Or this works good with popcorn as well. So like he puts too much popcorn in and next thing you know the popcorn's and it's just blowing up. It's out of the car. It's It's taking over this whole zone. That, I just, that kind of cartoonish image is sort of what I see when I think about grace and peace. Let it be abundant in your life. That is victory. That's the front lines of victory in your life. And I think it's important to notice because I'm with you, with many of you, when it's like, I want to be healthy. I want to be secure. I want to be happy. I want all my ducks in a row. Now that I live in Palos Verdes, all my peacocks in a row and quiet if they could be. No, I want them, I want everything lined up nicely. And what I see in this text is that the God of the universe cares about your ducks. It cares about your life. It cares about the fact that your health is a priority to God. But the biggest front line of victory is that grace, that is God's favor, God's gifts, God's presence to bless and peace would grow in your life and expand in your life. So I want to say to some of you, more grace, more peace does not mean that life situations all go easy. It does not mean the conflict disappears, that that person at work that you can't stand, that, that makes life so difficult from nine to five for you. It doesn't mean that tomorrow they're going to wake up and be like Mr. Rogers. It doesn't mean that your marriage, that you've hit that place where you are like, man, I don't like this thing. And it's really hard right now. It doesn't mean that tomorrow, suddenly it's like, wow, like Romeo and Juliet before they died. This is so good. It doesn't mean that when you're struggling with that professor and you go on rape my professor and totally give him bad reviews, which some students have done to me. It doesn't mean that that professor is suddenly going to be the easiest place in the world. It doesn't mean that that doctor's diagnosis is going to disappear for you. That is not the front line. That stuff can happen, and I've seen God work his grace and peace in those areas. But what it means is that victory is that you are not running the same circular, circular leashed up race around a pole that's going nowhere. That indeed you are heading somewhere, and where are you heading? You're heading into more grace and more peace and more grace and more peace. And I'm going to invite the um, communion folks to set up some communion as I as I give one last thought that's been real helpful for me uh, that one of uh, Bray's dear friends, uh, Kristen Jacobson, shared with her. And I think she got it from a pastor somewhere. But it's this cool idea that says, Lord, I want new problems. I want new problems, God. And what does that mean? Why would you ask for that? Why are you at peace when there are new problems? It's because if I'm struggling with the same basic problems I was struggling with two years ago and four years ago and eight years ago, and it's just the same thing and I'm going nowhere in this, it probably means I'm kind of running around a pole. But as I move in my grace and peace late in life, journeying with Jesus in the caravan of love of the community of the church, and I hit new problems, and it seems like, really? Now this? 
want to say, Lord, this is new. Oh, I haven't experienced this financial challenge before. Or I haven't had a person yell at me like that before. Or my kids are now acting in interesting new ways, Lord. That we can say, God, I'm moving. I'm, I'm going somewhere. And I'm hitting new problems and new struggles. And I want to rejoice because why? Life is not about the absence of trouble. It's about the abundance of grace and peace. And if you can have grace and peace, like our brothers and sisters in the Church of Indonesia, where they are gathering and worshiping. And a, and a month ago, someone just threw some bombs in, 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 in a couple churches. And you can gather together and say, no, we, we're going to gather. We have to gather because there's grace and peace and life in Jesus. If you can have peace in that, my friends, that's victory. That is the kind of victory that cannot be taken away. And that's the victory that's celebrated in this letter and in our lives. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray. And what we're going to do for our last time together, there's going to be um, some worship music and there's going to be communion. And what we're celebrating at the Lord's, we call it communion, Lord's Supper, the Eucharist. There's all different terms for it. But essentially, it is remembering the fact that as First Peter 1 tells us, we've been sprinkled in the blood of Jesus. That, that God cared so much for us that he gave of his own son, took on flesh on this earth, died for us, so that we can enjoy the grace and we can enjoy the peace and let it abound in our lives. And so we celebrate that with the, the bread representing his body and the the grape juice representing his blood given for us. And maybe this Sunday as you come up, and maybe you come up in groups, maybe you pray in groups, and you come up as soon as the music starts, feel free to start coming up. Maybe you're coming up and saying, Lord, here's an area of my life where I need more grace and I need more peace. And I'm insistent on saying, God, before you fix my problem, you bring peace to my problem. Before you change my circumstances, you bring grace and peace into my circumstances. That's what I truly need. Not the absence of conflict or problems. I need the presence of peace and grace in my life. And if that's you, I want you to pray that, maybe even as you're taking the, the element. So, come on up. Feel free. Enjoy. And um, uh, hang out afterwards. Maybe um, spend the day at the beach together. I don't know. I'm going to pray. Lord, thank you for this great um, passage, this greeting that says so much more than hello. Um, and God, we just ask that, Father, in our lives, our number one desire would be more of your grace and peace. And Lord, I know that is your desire for victory for us. So we thank you that you've already granted it, that it's, we have access to it. And we just ask, Lord, for those that maybe have never entrusted themselves to you, that they've never sort of jumped into your arms, that even this morning they trust Christ. They'd say, I'm, I'm all in, Lord. Here I am. I am yours take my life and make it new. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.